gospel in our city and in the world. You may be seated. Well, yeah, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Ray Cosley. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Way. And we're praying that you would indeed encounter the living Christ. Last week, we saw Paul calling us to intercessory prayer. When he calls us to pray for, at the end of verse 18, all the saints. We talked about intercessory prayer being something that, one, we are present with the other. That we bring that individual before the throne room of grace, wherever they may find themselves. Secondarily, we are present with ourselves as we bring those individuals before the throne of grace. We ask ourselves, what are the things that are going on even in my own heart as I pray and bring this person before the Lord? And then lastly, we are present with them, with God and ourselves. Knowing that the God of all creation, the God in Christ Jesus is superintending over whatever it is that you're bringing before him for that individual in such a way that you can trust and believe that he's going to do far more abundantly than you could even ask or think, whatever it may be. And right after Paul gives us this admonition to pray in an intercessory way, he asks them to put it into practice. He's just told them that they need to do it, and now he says, I actually need you to do this for someone that is addressing you right now. And so the question that I have for us this morning is, based on who we are, what ought to be a regular, ongoing, intercessory prayer topic that we should be praying for the other that not many of us, or probably maybe even none of us, pray very often? I want us to see three things this morning. First, I want us to see who are you? Who are we ultimately as defined by God? Secondarily, I want to see two requests that are brought before that we should pray for each individual that sometimes we probably don't pray. And then lastly, what is the aim of this request? What is the aim of this request? If you will, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. As we continue our series in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. Starting at verse 18, Ephesians 6, starting at verse 18. And he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's intercessory prayer. Verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Thus ends the reading of the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of the living God. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, I bring all of us together before your throne of grace. And it's not an accident that you have entitled it a throne of grace because, Lord, we need that more than anything. Wherever we find ourselves, God, will you cause for your grace to be applied? Whatever grace, God, is needed for us right now to hear at a heart level, to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we may know what you have for us, God, will you please? Grant that grace. God, I am merely a man attempting to communicate what is divine. And so, God, as I pray quite often, not by might, nor by power, nor by eloquence of speech, but by the Spirit of the living God, will you please come and make yourself known and felt in a way that is unmistakable. And that will cause us to walk away changed. Pray this, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The first question I have for us before we talk about the prayer request is, who are you? Well, Paul defines who we are in verse 20 in chapter 6 where he says, for which I am an ambassador. Everybody say ambassador. Here, Paul calls himself an ambassador. 
He defines himself in this way. But the question becomes is, what about us? Well, Paul uses the image of an ambassador in his epistles only one other time. And who does it have reference to? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, notice he doesn't say, I am an ambassador, but what? We. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see, what Paul envisions here is our calling. What he is calling himself and what he is defining us, if you are a believer in Christ today, is that you are an actual ambassador. In other words, another word for that is you are a representative of God. You see, God wants to be known. And God has a message. And as an ambassador, he has handed down a message to us that we might be his voice to a world that is dying in sin. That is the role of an ambassador. An ambassador represents the voice of another. And here Paul really is really digging into the picture of of an ambassador, namely the emperor. And a Roman emperor always had ambassadors that would go to various nations, that would go to villages. And that ambassador would get the voice of, of the emperor and take whatever his voice was and bring it to all the individuals that needed to hear that news. Well, here what Paul is saying is Rome may have an emperor named Nero, but we have a greater emperor. And that emperor is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And when he revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, he came with one aim to make disciples, to make disciples of all the nations. And he told us before he left and ascended into the heavens, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That was our commission to be his ambassadors, to bring his message to a world that needs to hear it most. That is who you are. You're an emissary of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the first thing about an ambassador is that an ambassador has been given a message, but that must message must be right. You see, an ambassador does not have the liberty to change the message. The ambassador does not have the liberty to make the message fit what makes him or her feel good. That individual is called to take whatever the message is from the emperor, no matter how they think, no matter what they feel, no matter what they like about it, and simply convey it the way that it was intended to be conveyed. And that's a challenge that we see even our day when it comes to Christianity, do we not? So many of us that are called to be ambassadors have fallen into a a place where we find ourselves not liking the message of the emperor. And so we're shifting it and changing it to try to make it more palpable, to make it more acceptable, to make it align in such a way that it can hopefully, in our estimation, be received better. But that's not our job as ambassadors. That is not our calling, as that is not our role. Our role is simply to deliver it as it has been given and entrust it to the one who has given it to us. Amen? Secondarily, an ambassador. An ambassador by nature, if that is your identity as a Christian, then that means that the message cannot go undelivered. Not only can you not change it, but it can't go undelivered. By nature, an ambassador is a deliverer. They deliver the news that they have been given. I just want to ask you this question. Do you see yourself in this way that Paul sees himself here? If you don't, maybe even as Paul is praying that you would pray this prayer for yourself. God, help me to see what I don't see about who I am in Jesus. That I carry the name as we're going to talk about next week and the weeks prior. We carry the name. You see, the gospel, and you know this, but do we know this? The gospel is the only hope for the world. Do you hear what I just said? It's not a hope. It's the only hope. 
the people that got shot at the University of Virginia, those who got killed at the gay and lesbian bar in Colorado, that friend of yours that died in their sickness, that neighbor that you see on a daily basis, every single one of those individuals needed one hope, and that's Jesus Christ. And you and I are the only ones who have that hope in our voice. This is why Paul is praying. Because even as Pastor James was praying for these children up here, as he was praying for the parents as they parent their children, this is what he just said, would you grant them the grace to have the end in mind? You see, ambassadors, because we know what we know, we have the end in mind. As Francis Chan gave the illustration of a rope, and Pastor James has used this and I've used it before, a rope, if, if a rope were to extend from here all the way to the back of this sanctuary and, and it represented life and eternity, the part of the rope that represents your life would be right here, only this big. And the rest of the rope that extends for the rest of this sanctuary represents all of eternity. You see, an ambassador who knows the news that has been given from the king, they get that. They see that. They feel the gravity and the weight of that. So when they look at the people that are driving on the highway, when they see the individual behind the counter, when they're bumping shoulders with their, with their coworkers and their friends, when, when they're on the basketball court, when, when they're sitting at home, when, when they're seeing their neighbor, wherever it may be, there's this reality of an ambassador that I have been given a message, and if I don't give that message, that message of hope to that individual, then they will be lost forever. Do you feel the gravity and the weight of who you are? as an ambassador. See, this is why Paul is praying. Because he feels the gravity and the weight of his calling. And this is our calling as well. And so as I ask the question, who we are, ambassadors, the next question is based on who we are, what ought to be a regular, ongoing prayer that we should be praying intercessory for the other that many of us probably, at least I had to admit as I was studying, rarely, if ever, pray. And this is what we see in Paul's prayer. After he tells them to pray for all the saints at the end of verse 18, he says, and also pray for me. But look what he prays. That words may be given, everybody say words, to me in opening my mouth boldly. Everybody say boldly. To proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul tells us and asks the Ephesian church to pray two things for them. The two things that I'm saying that we ought to pray regularly for, interceding for one another, that we probably, if we're honest, rarely, if ever, pray is, God, will you grant my brother? God, will you grant my sister? God, will you grant whatever individual that is on my mind right now the boldness to give the words to preach the proclamation of the mystery of the gospel? How many of us pray that on a regular basis? I would have to probably put my hand down. But here, out of all the things that Paul could have asked the Ephesian church to pray for, this man had been shipwrecked. This man had been beaten. Right now, presently, he is in prison. And instead of him praying, will you please help me to endure the travesty of being in chains in this cold prison, will you instead grant me the grace to be an ambassador in chains for the sake of the gospel? Because he felt the gravity and the weight of who he was as an ambassador. The first one is he prays for boldness. The first thing that we ought to do in praying for our brothers and sisters, if we're going to pray intercessory prayers, is for boldness. Because here's the reality. We are not proclaiming. Study after study that I've read over the years, Christianity is declining. I told you guys about that a few months ago. And not only is Christianity declining, what they're saying is, is that people who formerly identified as Christians are what they call switching. And they're switching to none. 
They're not even embracing another religion or another expression of religion. They're simply switching from Christianity to nothing. To where they're saying ultimately the vestiges of what has been for the most part a Christian nation will be non-existent soon if we move in this direction. The studies are saying that the majority of us as churchgoers, almost half of us don't even pray for opportunities to tell other people about Jesus, let alone telling other people about Jesus. And the question that I've asked myself and that I'm even asking us and I would encourage you to ask yourself is, why? What is keeping us from, from proclaiming this wonderful good news that each one of us, if you're in Jesus today, have experienced? Well, I want to give a few reasons why maybe we don't proclaim it boldness. One, because people don't understand our message, and a lot of us as Christians don't even understand it either. If we were to ask or be asked, could you articulate the gospel there are so many Christians that just can't even articulate the wonder and the beauty of the gospel message. Another reason that keeps us maybe from stepping forward in boldness, and this is not necessarily our fault, but it's a reality, is Christianity in our context and our culture gets a lot of bad press. An interview that Greg Kokel did with U.S. News and World Report, the interviewer asked Greg Kokel, he said, I want to ask why all you Christians, all you guys ever talk about is abortion and homosexuality. It seems to be that's all that you Christians seem to care about. And he looked at the interviewer and he said, actually, I would disagree. That's not true. That's not all that we care about. It's just all that you write about. And so some of us as believers in Christ, because we know the labels the moment you say Christian, we know the way the culture has labeled us. And to avoid the, these negative labels, we shy away. We shirk back. Because we don't deserve those labels. But yet, if we simply identify as one, we will be labeled in this way. And then lastly, there are fears that we endure and deal with probably from every kind, whether that be being misunderstood, whether that just being nervous, whether that being fearful that you just don't know enough and so you can't present the gospel in a way that's winsome. But I want to encourage you with something. I want you to notice Paul is praying for boldness. Do you know who we're talking about here? This is the great Paul. This is the greatest missionary to walk planet earth. This is the man who built churches, who stood in front of mobs, proclaiming the gospel with stones being cast at him. And here, Paul is praying, hey, y'all, I'm, I'm a little afraid. I'm a little scared. Actually, I'm quite intimidated. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel a little bit better. Amen? If Paul was afraid, okay, then I'm in good company because I'm afraid too. And even in the text right here, in this context, Paul is in prison, and he is pinning this from a prison where he is about to actually go before the emperor Nero, where he is going to present the gospel to Nero. And he's nervous. This is the most powerful individual in the known world. And he's sitting in that cell wondering, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Am I going to fold? Am I going to be bold enough? And I'm going to be scared that he's going to cut my head off. He has all these things running through his mind. And so what does he do? He tells the church, will you just pray for me because I'm afraid. And you can see that he's afraid just by the very fact that Paul asks for boldness twice in the text. You see it first in verse 19, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery. And then he ends it in verse 20, for which I am ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly. He's really praying for boldness. And here's my experience. Is that when I preach on messages on evangelism, you hear them. 
And most of us, when you hear messages on evangelism and preaching the gospel, you usually probably more than likely feel guilty because you're not doing it as much and as often and to the degree to which you know you ought. And so what happens is you hear this message about you need to be evangelist, go tell people about Jesus, you sit there feeling like crap, right, just because you're not doing it, and then you walk out still feeling like crap and guilty, just the same as you walked in, and you still don't go tell people about Jesus, or is that just me? Is anybody else in my number? Does anybody else feel the gravity and the weight of, yeah, I need to be telling people about Jesus, but yet when I go out there, it's no different? Well, I like the way Greg Kokel kind of brought up some things that are helpful, and I think the text speaks to that as well. And a lot of times we feel like we need to go out there because we define evangelism as having to get from A to Z when it comes to any interaction that we have when it comes to preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Isn't that the image that you have? When somebody tells you to go evangelize, basically they're telling you, look, talk to your coworker, and evangelism is started from the fact that Jesus created you, you're fallen and you're sinful, Jesus rescued you, and he means restoration, so you need to come to Jesus right now, amen, hallelujah, bow the knees. Isn't that kind of what you think when somebody tells you to go be an evangelist? Well, you're thinking the reason you don't do it when you walk out the door is because that's not even practical. It doesn't even happen that way for people. Oh, you just got to get a track. We don't really use tracks much these days. I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little old there. Campus Crusade. Who are my campus crusaders? All right, my track people. We used to go out, go out with just tracks and we used to go to Universal City Walk and just be passing out tracks and telling people about Jesus. I, hey, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But isn't that kind of intimidating? Isn't that a little scary? That's why whenever we called people to do it, it was like five people that showed up. I think what will help us is the second thing that Paul asks them to pray for for him. He prays for boldness, but then also he prays, verse 19, and also for me that words may be given. Everybody say words. So the other request is that he's asking, give boldness and give me words. Pray to give me words. Now that word words there, he's asking to be given to him, is the idea of imparting a message So his idea is, I want to impart a message. I want to impart a word. Now, the situation here that Paul is addressing is not the fact that Paul doesn't know what to say. We're talking about Paul here. If anyone knew the gospel, Paul knows the gospel. So he's not praying, will you pray for me that I would know the words of the gospel? It's not what he's praying. You know what Paul is asking here? He's asking for divine leading and strength to know what he ought to say with wisdom and timing. God, will you give me the right word? Will you pray for me that when I'm sitting in front of Nero, when when I'm standing with a friend, when, 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 when one of the guards comes by, will you pray for me that God give me a timely word for that person that will in some way move them toward the mystery that I have come to know in Jesus Christ. I think John chapter 4, verses 35 through 38 illuminates this quite well. Jesus has just talked to the woman at the well, and he says this, Do you not say that there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white, For harvest, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower, everybody say sower, and reaper, everybody say reaper, may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, everybody say sow. Another reaps, everybody say reaps. I sent you to reap 
that for which you did not, what's that word? Labor. Others have what? And now you have entered into their what? Labor. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? What is Jesus saying? You know what we envision evangelism as? We all got to be reapers. If we're not reaping, then we're not evangelizing. But you need sowers. You need, you need people who are sowing and tilling the soil of the soul. And so what Jesus is saying here is that both the sower and the reaper are necessary to bring people to the wonder of the gospel. And for me, when I hear that, that kind of brings the guilt down and the intimidation down, at least for me. Because if Paul is saying, give me a word, then really my desire when I'm engaging someone, when I'm encountering someone, is not I got to get from A to Z of the gospel. It's God, will you give me a sowing word that I can plant into this individual in some way where you can meet them that might bring them farther along in the path that one day a reaper shows up. Come on now. A reaper shows up. And when that reaper shows up and that person comes to the the wonder of the gospel, that's not the only individual that was in the process of evangelism. The reaper is benefiting from all of the other sowers that took their time to sow that seed day after day, week after week, year after year, until finally the reaper, who is not the individual, but who? We know who the reaper is. God himself, and Paul said it. It's not Apollos, it's not Paul, you water, God gives the increase. And so here's what I'm saying. If you're intimidated about evangelism, just start here. Just focus on sowing. Just focus on sowing. At least when I hear that, that's just a lot easier for me. When I'm sitting behind the counter and, 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 and the checker just says, um, man, I'm just, you know, we get into a conversation, I'm having a bad day. You know what I can say in that moment? You know what, I'm going to pray that Jesus Christ meets you in a way that you have never met. So when I'm walking out, I'm just going to pray for you. Well, I'm going to be back. Grocery outlet. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to start talking about grocery outlet. I'm going to be back. Right there in that moment, what did I do? I just sowed. I just sowed. That's easy for me. I'll pray for you. I'm telling you right now, I've said this before. I have never, ever, up to this point in my life, met an individual that I've interacted with, and I've said to them, hey, can I just pray for you, that they've ever told me no. And then sometimes I just start praying for them right there, and I just start preaching gospel in my prayer. But I'm just sowing. I just think about my wife when she just shared with me we have a neighbor and the little boy was having pain in, in his side and she just said they figured out that it was an, an appendix issue. And she said she just went over there and just prayed for her son. That was it. Just pray for her son. That's, and, she, and, and the girl wasn't like, no, I don't want you praying for my son. He's in pain. No, 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 no. I don't want that religious stuff. No, she's like, yeah, please pray for my boy. And so she just sold, and then that was it. She was done. She came home, and we had Thanksgiving dinner. Again, I think about one of uh, the individual who came to my house that, that was doing some of our work in our home and all the stories that I've told you about working in our home. And this person did not do the job that he should have done. And customarily, with the kind of effort and work that he was putting forward, dodging us, incomplete, one month, two months, five months, six months. It, it, y'all know contractors. If you're a contractor, praise the Lord, God bless you. Okay? Love me some contractors. But it was excuse after excuse, debacle after debacle. I'm coming out of my pocket, uncomfortable. It's a mess. What is he expecting? Anger, frustration, attitude vitriol that's what he's expecting and trust me i was there i was there in my mind and in my heart but i got a wife 
And she told me, honey, honey, this is an opportunity. Yeah, an opportunity for him. Go upside his head. No, no. It's an opportunity for us to be a witness. And so we came together and said, let's be that. And so we lavished this man with kindness week after week, month after month. And he, at one point he said, you guys are Christians. I'm going to be honest. This is the first time that I've experienced a marrying of what I think a Christian ought to act and seen it actually lived out in living color. And it's blessed my soul. I would love to come to your church. We just had the same incident with our house again. I don't know why it's all our house. We got a lot of house issues. When the, when the stuff was dripping, the water, and again, everything blew up. And so the people who came over to help and make all the fixings and, and fix it all up, we just got into conversations. And I just asked them about their kids, asked them about their job, asked them about their new business. And then they asked me what I do. Now, y'all don't have that privilege. I have a nice little entryway. It's, it's real easy. I'm a pastor. Oh, yeah, that gives me permission. That gives me permission. And so I just brought them into that. And so then we started asking questions, and we just started conversing. I'm not thinking in my head, which I used to, and I have had that pressure. I got to get to the gospel. I got to get to the gospel. I don't know if they walk out this door ever again, and they're ever going to hear the gospel. You, you, you got those fear tactics, right? You've heard those fear tactics. No, 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 no. I'm just going to be where they are, and I'm going to ask God, will you give me a timely word? Like Paul's praying, God, give me a word. What's your word for them right now? And I'm going to give that word in your wisdom, and then I'm going to entrust them to you. Come on, man. That's when we start to be light in a dark world. And at some point, we have to get to the gospel, amen? That's what saves. But it doesn't mean that there isn't a time for sowing. Now, here's what the flesh can do even with that. Some of you will see that as an excuse not to get to the gospel. God, the Holy Spirit, may be ministering to some of you guys right now, saying, it's been enough sowing. You need to step into reaping with that person. And that's where you need to pray, God, will you give me boldness? The time for sowing is done. Present the gospel. But for others of you, I'm hoping that this isn't an excuse to say I'm just always going to be a sower and never step into reaping. But this is maybe just a bridge or a springboard that you can feel comfortable that can launch you off in a way that you don't have to walk out of here because I've talked about evangelism and you feel guilty and shameful that you're not going to go do it. Amen? So finally, who are we? Ambassadors. The two requests that we should pray for each other. And this, this is, again, this is a prayer. So again, my question is, how many of us pray for one another? God, will you just give my brother, my sister boldness? God, will you give my brother, my sister a timely word? How many of us pray that? I'm struggling and I'm the pastor. But Paul is saying, that's what I want you to pray for me. And this is an area of intercessory prayer that changes the world. And so finally, what is the aim of this request, these two requests? What's the ultimate aim of boldness and a timely word? The last and final thing that Paul brings out here that I want to address is he says, and also in verse 19, for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly. Now, what's the aim? The aim of the desire for boldness and words to be given is to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So Paul is saying, pray that through me, they would see the mystery of the gospel. And I want you to notice something. I want you to slow down. Notice he says, he doesn't say, pray for me that I proclaim the gospel. He says, pray that I proclaim the what? Mystery of the gospel. You see, the moment the people in your life 
that don't know Jesus see the mystery, it will become gospel to them. It's the knowledge of the mystery that makes the gospel good. This word mystery takes us back to Daniel chapter 2. And the word mystery is used to refer to a secret plan of God. In dealing with Nebuchadnezzar, this secret plan of God was seen in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But only Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 could explain it. And the dream in Daniel chapter 2 was a revelation of God's redemptive plan for the end of the age. You see, the mystery is about redemption. The mystery is how is God going to redeem a world that is in deep need of it? And we all know that. We're longing for redemption. Our marriages, our culture, our singleness, our ideologies, our philosophies, the divisions, the vitriol, our bodies, everyone is searching and clamoring for redemption. And the mystery is, How are we going to gain what all of us out there in the world are longing for? We live in a hostile world, a cancel culture, factions, wars, and divisions. And there are dimensions to this mystery that Paul unfolds that we've seen throughout the book of Ephesians. And when you get these various dimensions of the mystery of the gospel, all you hear is good news. For example, Ephesians 2, 14 through 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. You see, the mystery of the gospel is that Christ brings peace to the hostility in our world. See, this is why our vision as a church is to be a gospel-revealing missional community because the world wants peace. The world does not like the hostility that exists in our culture. The world does not want us at odds. But the question is, how? And the reality is, they haven't figured out an answer. But see, when you have people under the same roof, under the auspices of Jesus Christ, that should be at odds with each other, and yet they're loving one another as family, that reveals the gospel. That's why we call it a gospel-revealing missional community. This is what the Beyond the Building campaign is all about. This is why we call it Beyond the Building, because it's not about a building. It's about this vision of the mystery of the gospel that if people in the world step into it, they will lose the hostility and they will gain the peace their hearts are longing for. You see, I almost didn't marry my wife because I was black and she's white. Because of the challenges that come with that. The challenges to my own security and identity. I don't want to be labeled a house Negro. I don't have time to explain that. If you want to know more about that, you can ask me. I don't want to deal with being misunderstood. I don't want to deal with being valued or or devalued or, or in a way that feels like I'm not being heard or seen. 
I want to be with somebody who knows the struggle, who can look at me and nod and say, I feel you. See, those were all the things that were percolating in my mind and my heart when I actually broke up with my wife. And you know what the Lord said to me? He said, Ray, what is of greater value? Are you telling me that you're going to walk away from a woman who's filled with the Holy Spirit, who fears the Lord deeply, just because she doesn't look like you? And I felt like Paul, I felt like Peter when Paul was rebuking Peter. When Peter was at the table of fellowship with the Gentiles, then all of a sudden his Jewish friends come along, and then all of a sudden he just kind of scampers off, wanting no association with these Gentile dogs. And Paul looks at Peter and says, you are out of step with the gospel. And when the Lord ministered that to my heart, that moment, I had to repent. And I had to apologize to my wife. And then I got on my knees and begged, will you please take me back? Please take me back, please take me back. I'm a big fat dummy. And one of the reasons why we married was because we know the history of black and white in our culture, when people see us together, the only explanation of why we are one that drives them all is the gospel. We are a living embodiment of the fact that two individuals that should be at odds historically are now together in union as one because of Jesus Christ. That reveals the gospel. And when I look at my children now, my first she married, and we got our little grandbaby love. Oh, she's so cute, little girl. And my daughter married a black man. Well, my other daughter, Trinity, is engaged to a white man. Yeah. And then yesterday we was in the house, and my kids still have this habit of not taking their shoes off when they walk in the house. Come on, man. We've been at a predominantly Asian church for 20, how, how many years? How long does it take, homie? And so I corrected Kari. She walked in. Maybe it's being at college. She lost her mind and forgot, whatever. She walked in the house, shoes on. I looked at her. Girl, take them shoes off. She was like, thank you, daddy, because you're getting me ready for my Asian husband. I said, you go. You go. So now all we need is some Latin up in there, and we're going to be all gospel revealing. Amen? Come on now. Yes. When I look at Pastor James and Jean in adoption, they adopted two black boys. That was intentional. It reveals the gospel in so many ways. First, the simple fact that they're black, and secondarily, they're adopted. That's yelling the gospel. Amen? Sunday is still the most segregated day of the year. Do you realize that? And so you know what reveals the gospel? When you got co-lead pastors, one that's Korean and one that's black. You see, here's the reality. When because of Jesus, Democrat, Republican, those who struggle with same-sex attraction and straight, able and disabled, rich, middle-class, poor, the mystery of the gospel is that it destroys all of the walls of hostility that divide us and they give us a picture of the redemption that God is bringing when he finally comes from the skies. This is the mystery of the gospel that makes it so good. But not only that, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6 the mystery, he says, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Everybody say fellow heirs. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ. So now here's another dimension of the mystery. The Gentiles were considered to be dogs, 
partakers of, of God in Christ? No way. You couldn't even eat with the Gentile if you were a Jew. And yet the mystery is that you've been looking for, as a Gentile, a seat at God's table. And what the mystery of the good news is that in Jesus, no matter your origin, no matter your color, short, tall, whatever it may be, the wonder and the mystery is that now you are a fellow heir. That means that God has done in Christ what is necessary for you to be called his son. You actually, as a fellow heir, belong. The mystery of the Gentiles as fellow heirs means that Revelation chapter 5 is on its way. The fact that one day the angels in heaven and all of us will sing glory to the lamb who was slain to receive honor and power and glory. And it's going to come from every tribe, tongue, and nation. If you're a fellow heir, that means right now in Christ, you have an inheritance in the heavens. To know this is to know that you really don't have to lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Because you are a Gentile and yet a fellow heir, the mystery is the fact that now you you have an inheritance where ultimately one day you won't have to deal with pain, suffering, that every season of your pain and suffering will feel like a light momentary affliction because of the great eternal weight of the inheritance that belongs to you. See, the mystery to know this is to know that God, as a fellow heir, as an inheritor, will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And the mystery of this reality that belongs to you has now come in full view in Christ. That's what makes this mystery so good. But I'm still not done. The mystery, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to what? Christ and the what? Church. The mystery we're praying for, to be bold and timely in proclaiming to the world would be that they would come to know a love that every one of them are hungering for that they cannot find outside of Jesus Christ. You see, the words that every single individual in the world wants to hear, these are the words, and I say this numerous times at weddings. There is nothing that will keep me from loving you. Everyone wants to hear that. Everyone wants to hear, you don't have to work for my love. You already have it. We all want that. But here's the problem. None of us deserves that. And we know it. We all are guilty. And we deserve to be cast out and unloved. Outside of Christ. The mystery of marriage and how it points to the gospel is that marriage is a reflection of this gospel love that can only be found in Jesus and not your spouse, who became your substitute. And he carried in his body the rejection that you deserved, and he put upon you a foreign righteousness that did not belong to you, so that as you carry in Christ his righteousness, the voice that matters most that you want to hear that says that there is nothing that you can do that can keep me from loving you comes from God and, and because of Christ and his righteousness and he sees you through that, you have that in him and you can only get that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see, to know this mystery is to know that marriage, listen to me, was never meant to place the weight of your happiness on your spouse because it was never made for that. It was made to reflect the gospel. You see, to know this mystery of marriage is to know that, that the fight to commit in your marriage is a far greater weight than you may be putting on it because it has the weight of the gospel attached to it. To know this mystery, this mystery of marriage is to display and experience a small glimpse in your marriage of Christ's 
covenant love for you as you mirror that back and forth to one another in your marriage. You see, to know the mystery of marriage is to have a covenant-keeping God that has said to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. And marriage was designed for you to feel that. This is the mystery of the gospel that we are praying, that Paul is saying, I'm praying for you. I'm not praying that that you pray that I preach the gospel. I'm praying that you help me to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Because when you see all of its facets and wonders and dimension, you become to really see just how good it really is. You see, the mystery of the gospel, I'm still not done. And I had to take a whole lot of stuff out of this too. Can I keep going? The mystery of the gospel is Colossians 1, 26 to 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed in the saints to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, what's the mystery, y'all? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So see, not only is it that, that we have peace with one another, breaking down the hostility. Not only is it that we are fellow heirs, and therefore we have an inheritance that this world cannot compare to. Not only do we get the mystery of it in marriage, when we come to understand wonderful covenant love, the mystery of the gospel is the reality, the fact that we have Christ in us, the very hope of glory. Do you see Colossians 1.27? The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To know this mystery is to know that you have a future that is glorious. That's why Paul says, what eye has seen, what ears heard, what heart has imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. If you saw what is to become of you in Christ, when you step over into eternity, as C.S. Lewis says, you would be tempted to worship yourself. Do you realize what it means to have the hope of glory? (laughs) That means you will have heaven, his presence, ever-increasing gladness, peace at the center at all times, contentment beyond measure, unmitigated joy, no more sin. You won't hurt or disappoint another person. You will love God and others in all the ways that your heart right now is beating for, but you can't do it because you still have the flesh. There will be no sickness, no death, and you will be finally able to worship in all of the ways that your heart hungers for because worship is the culmination of joy. That's the hope of glory. And this is the mystery of the gospel. I'm still not done. The mystery is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Are y'all getting tired? Y'all getting tired? I'm almost done. The mystery is making known to us the mystery of his will. Notice these are all in Ephesians except for the one I talked about in Colossians. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Now, do you know what that means? I'll just say this because I don't have a whole lot of time. He says, in Christ, which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. The word there for time in the Greek is kairos, not chronos. Kairos is time with meaning. You notice how Joseph and his brothers, right? Joseph and his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for what? good. So it's talking about meaning. This time that you meant for evil, God has reversed it and used this time to mean good. So here's the mystery. When he talks about uniting all things with the fullness of time in heaven and earth, this is what that means. This is the mystery. Is when you add all of time up, all of history What will ultimately be the meaning of it all? What will every event in your life and in history ultimately add up to? All the good stuff, all the bad stuff, all of the disappointments, all of the wonderful joys, all of the mundane. What this means is that the mystery is this. Every single event in every single person's life since the dawn of time will add up to one meaning. 
Jesus Christ. Do you want to know why that's good? I could talk a lot about it, but I'm going to give you a few reasons. To know this mystery is to know that building your own empire or legacy in this world is a waste of time. Because guess what? All of it is going to add up to Christ. You know who we will see after all of your efforts and energies and empire and money and accomplishments? You know who we're going to see at the end of everything that you've accomplished? It ain't going to be you. You know who we're going to see? Jesus is going to use all your things to point us to him. You know what this means? That he's at the center of your history. Your life is not a series of haphazard events. He is orchestrating every small, mundane, and what you think to be inconsequential. And he's taking it, and he's going to sum it up, and then at the end of the age, you're going to look at it and say, Ooh, what a recipe, because I gained Christ more in it and through it. You know what it means that he has summed up all things in the fullness of time? The mystery is that he's got your whole world in his hands. Every event in your life is an instrument in the symphony of his master plan to bring you to the greatest treasure that your heart will ultimately be fulfilled in, and that's Jesus. And he's going to take Satan that worm, that accuser of the brethren, that demon that hounds us day in and day out, and he's going to sum it all up by throwing him in a pit. And as C.S. Lewis says, when all the events of history reach their fullness, God will invade. When the author walks on the stage, the play is over. But what good of saying that you are on his side at that point When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and and something else, something that never entered your head could conceive comes crashing in. Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For once it's all summed up, this time it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror in every creature. You see, it will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it becomes impossible to stand up. End quote. Every knee will bow. When it's all summed up, there will be a new heaven and a new earth when it's all summed up. And what Paul is praying is, will you ask God for me to be bold enough and to give enough of a timely word that people see a good of that wonder, of that mystery? You see, what I just articulated in fraction. Is the mystery that every heart in your life is longing for. And this is why we sing during the Christmas season. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hill and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ born. That's what Christmas is about. The mystery of the fact that everything points to him. And in him, we have everything. And Paul just wants other people to see what he has come to see. So as I close, we are ambassadors. And as ambassadors, we can't leave the message undelivered and whatever the barrier where you find yourself right now I want to encourage you to start to pray for others as well as yourselves God will you give me boldness the mystery that was just articulated from the word of God through the preaching of God's word 
There's no better news than that. If you can share with me something better than what I just described, please come tell me because I want to know. And so maybe you need to pray for yourself. God, will you give me boldness? Or maybe you just need a wise word, a timely word. Because we hold the mystery to what every heart is longing for. We hold the mystery. Did you hear me? If we don't give them the mystery, then it still remains a mystery. But it's not a mystery to us. He's made it known to us, the mystery of his will. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. And I said this before, this is why we want to go beyond the building. We want to go beyond the building with this mystery. And so I just want to encourage you. Some of you still have been maybe on the fence. And I'm asking you, if you would, just consider and ask the Lord to minister to your heart how he might be again calling you to come alongside us as we want to be a church that unfolds more of the mystery to people who need to know Jesus Christ. And there may be some of you that have reservations with giving. Maybe you have questions. Maybe there are challenges. I just first want to offer myself and Pastor James, we're going to be downstairs. If for some reason you felt like I just can't come alongside this mission that we have to be a gospel revealing missional community by giving toward the building campaign. And if there's some challenge or struggle, we want to be with you in that. We want to meet you where you are in that. This is a part of our vision to unfold the mystery. This is why we keep talking about it. And I've already told you guys, I've in the history of me being a pastor, I've never asked for money and I'm not asking for it now. We as a church years ago came up with a vision called from commuter to community because we knew God was calling us to be a better representation as a church within a community for the sake of the mystery of the gospel. And we said, God, will you lead us in that direction? And God, by his grace, led us from being commuter in a supernatural way that we've shared over the pulpit to actually being here in the Pasadena area. And now from there, God called us to to refine and revise and, and, and really solidify what that picture looked like. And that's when we came up with being a gospel-revealing missional community. We went from commuter to community to being a gospel-revealing missional community. And all the things I just shared with you about my marriage, about my children, about Pastor James and Jean, about us being co-lead pastors, all of those things are the desire that beat at the core of our heart because we've come to understand and know that the world outside is lost and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that witness is waning, especially in our culture. And we, as stewards of this gospel, need to be in a position where we can step into a place where people can come to know the freedom and the grace and the love and the hope and the peace and the joy and the salvation and the deliverance that only Jesus can bring. And because we have that desire, we said, Lord, what's the next step? And he said, you know what? God, I may be moving you into a place where you can be centered in a location where you can be there Monday to Sunday, where you can set up camp, where you can settle down, where you can root yourself with God's people that they might come to know in the surrounding area this mystery that has been revealed to you. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And if you find yourself challenged, I just want to encourage you, come to us, ask us, talk to us, and we can hopefully maybe be an opportunity to get you past some of your reservations. But I want you to know, we are in this as a church together for the sake of the mystery of proclaiming this wonderful gospel. And lastly, some of us know that we need to be praying that God give us boldness and a word for someone else today. It may be your neighbor. It may be the individual you work out with at the gym. 
It may be the individual at the grocery store. Maybe someone in your family. So I want us to actually practice exactly what Paul is saying here. And I just want to give 30 seconds. And I just want you to bow your head. And I don't want you to pray for yourself. I want you to pray for the person to your right and your left. And would you pray Paul's prayer for them? Will you pray verses 19 and 20? God, will you give them boldness? God, will you give them a timely, wise word for those people around them who have yet to hear the mystery of the gospel that they might proclaim it? Just pray that simple prayer for the person on your right and your left. together and I bring all of us including myself to you and God I just pray this prayer God will you grant us a sowing wisdom and a reaping boldness God will you grant us a sowing wisdom and a reaping boldness in Jesus name Amen.